what did I just say? You ever had someone say that to you? And you're like, you said da-da-da-da-da. But did you hear me? And you're like, yes, I heard you. We're going to do, you know. In my house, sometimes that kind of happens. Anna will say, well, what did I just say? And I can almost always recall it. And until she says that, I really haven't heard her. But, like, I can spit it out and be like, oh, I was so plugged in to what you just said, you know. Uh, or at least act like that. She said, I don't really think you're listening, but that's great that you have, like, this recorder, you know, where you can, like, kind of file that away for at least 10 seconds and then give it back to me. There are basically um, two types of people. We good? Okay. Uh, there are basically two types of people in the world. There are those who are dead spiritually and those who are alive spiritually. And if you, uh, in, in, a, in a lot of places where you, you it's hard for us because you don't always know if someone is dead or alive. I mean, like this morning, I, I don't particularly like, I, I can't always read into what's going on in your heart. And so you may be present here, uh, but really not care to be here or love and treasure the things we talk about, you know. It's uh, interesting, like, when you go to, like, let's say we went to an, a regular high school, walked in, and uh, you go in and thought, I'm going to teach these students today about this particular subject. And let's say you had six classes that came through that day, and, you know, a total of 150 students. You walk in there, how many of them do you think would be alive to what you were talking about? Most of them? <laughs> I mean, do most of them really want to be educated? Did I want to be educated when I was in high school? Was I like hanging on every word that my biology teacher said? No, I mean, I basically wanted to gather enough information to hopefully pass the test, right? Because I wasn't really wanting to understand biology. I mean, I, I, I'm, kind, I'm really mad at myself today for like not learning that much I mean it wasn't the information wasn't coming my way it was just that I really was dead to those things I did not want to hear them I didn't have ears to hear I didn't have eyes that wanted to see right it's one of those things I think that all of us have to say like this is very very important to grasp you can grow up in church but not really be alive to God. You, you can be apart, but not really apart, you know. And so we want to think about that, consider that, because there really are, as I mentioned, two types of people. People that are dead spiritually and those who are alive spiritually. And, and, and that is very important for us to understand because after the fall, we come... Uh, into this earth uh, under Adam, the umbrella of Adam's sin, you might say we live under, in a way you could say, we are sinners by association. association. When Adam sinned, Romans 5 says, the whole human race was plunged into sin. And then we are sinners by nature, and of course we'll look at that some today, where you say like, man, uh, your nature is corrupted. You are by nature in rebellion against God. And thirdly, uh, we are sinners by choice. 
And so you hang out with people and you realize you read the paper, you talk to people, you just get around. And, and, and some of you might say, well, I'm not as big a sinner as this person. And maybe you're not. Maybe you're the biggest sinner of all and that's why you're saying that. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we say, man, the fall of man plunged humanity into ruin. And apart from God's saving work, that's where we'd be. Paul is writing to a people that are, um, have been saved by God's grace. He believes that. And it's evidenced in their lives. There's things that he sees. He prayed last week in his prayer. He said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's a good example of someone who is trusting in Jesus and they love his people. You say, I see and hear of you that these things are true, that you are not dead to the things of God, but alive to the things of God, and you love the things of God. And so, I think it's just important for us to kind of understand that. And, I, you know, another thing, too, is, is like you can watch people in the world, they're moving along, and really, like I said, I can't really tell what's going on in them, where like there, there are people that pass you all the time, every day, and they're coming through your life, and on occasion, you will see, oh my goodness, this person loves the Lord, treasures the Lord. But oftentimes you don't know. And I just think we have to recognize that, understand that, but also say, Lord, let those things thrive in me that will demonstrate that I love Christ and I'm living for Him, I love His body. And um, and, and think it's really important that we always uh, think in those terms. Now, when we think about being brought to life to God, I was thinking uh, this week uh, about a number of men. One time I went with a group of students to Colorado, and uh, we kind of had different adults share their testimony. And one of the men got up there, and he was like, he said, I was in my 20s, uh, had been in a kind of a spiritual environment, I guess you could say. But he said it was like God like stood in front of me, threw his arms out, and stopped me in my tracks. And he said, you're mine. He, he was otherwise dead to that prior to that, you know. And then all of a sudden, like, God just shows up and says, Hey, Robert, you're mine. And calls him to himself. I think about uh, the a phone call from Rick Ashley, who's a part of our church here, when God used circumstances in their life, and it was like a literal, like, he's running this way, away from the things of God. He calls me, he talks to me one day, I was like, wait, hold on, am I talking to Rick Ashley? And, uh, and he's like, I mean, I, I, I see it, you know? And, and, and then I've watched the last decade or whatever with his life. Think of Rick Barker here. And uh, I remember when he was going through the loss of his wife, the Lord used those times. In that moment, all of that stuff to like bring him to faith. And, and, and through all of those things, it's like the Lord does this thing takes these guys running or women or children or whatever they're running their own way and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and they who were pursuing the things of this world without a thought towards God dead to spiritual things sitting in maybe a church service uh I don't really care I wish they would hurry up blah 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 and then brings them to life and they're like on fire to learn and grow and you know what I mean and so we have to understand that and see that and and savor that and we should pray for that 
that God would do a radical work of saving people. That's what he does. God takes dead people and brings them to life. And, and that's such a beautiful thing. It's something we should treasure. And it's something, again, we're talking about today. And so we're, we've been talking about the theme of new life. We talked about how the triune God worked in saving us. Uh, we also have talked about how Paul prays that you would get that. Like that you would understand it, that you would love it and treasure it. Uh, we, Paul prays that they would look to their past and their future and in their present and see how God is working. God is working in their lives and that they would just know that, believe that, love that, and treasure it, like I said. But when we look at today, we're saying, okay, Paul's going to take us and say, your former condition was this, but now this has happened to you. And uh, that should move us to praise. It should remind us of his power at work in our lives. And so we're, we're going to look at that today and make, hopefully it will be clear to you as we go through it. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, we see man in his natural state. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So you could say, what is man by nature? Dead. Well, hold on just a second. He's breathing. What is he? He's dead. He's dead to spiritual things. He is talking about this as a universal condition. Dead to spiritual things. It, it is not like a, a some, some are dead to those things and some are not. It is the whole human race. I don't know if you ever watched, there, was it called Outbreak, that movie where the, this virus was passing on? Y'all remember that maybe? I don't know. But I watched it a few times. It's like the whole, they're talking like, oh, in the next, you know, 24 hours, the whole earth is going to be covered by this, you know, virus or whatever. And uh, at the end of it or whatever, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat thinking, are they going to come up with something to save the world, you know? And uh, they are able to make a vaccine and, you know, only like, a hundred thousand people died or something, you know, but, but it's just one of those um, things for us. When we're looking at this, we say, okay, this is all of humanity. Paul does that often. He, he kind of shows you this is all of humanity. This is their condition. This is what it means to be apart from Christ. And that's what you were. But God has made you alive. God has done this work. So we first say we were dead to the things of God. We were spiritually dead. Our spiritual life was that we had no fellowship with God. We're alienated from Him. The idea of trespass, the idea of deviating from the path. We walked off the path. We were AWOL. We're going our own way. That, that's kind of the idea. And then sins, a lot of times for me, is just like we've missed the mark. No matter how good of a marksman we try to become, we are going to miss it. We don't have enough to throw it out there. The mark, it's, it's, it's too perfect. So you're never going to nail it. You're never going to hit the bullseye is kind of the picture. So we were dead and we were also enslaved. That's what he says here. In which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So what's he saying? 
He is saying you were driven. You were driven towards doing the things that would not be honoring to God. It was almost like you're drug along. It's almost like something has you and you don't even know it. And it's pulling you around. There's this internal like working inside of you to move you away from the things of God. He's saying, you're enslaved to these things. They dominated you. They were your taskmaster. They controlled you. So you were dead to the things of God, and therefore, you're, you're alive to the things of this world, to the things of Satan. You're being dominated by that spirit, that drive, that focus. And you see that on display. Now, here's an example. Ephesians 4, 28 through 32. We're going to get to this in Ephesians, but in Ephesians 4, you'll notice he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may share with someone in need. That's a stark contrast, right? So, following the course of this world, somebody you could say, he is dominated by a life of stealing. And now he is dominated by a life of giving glory to God and blessing other people. So instead of stealing, he goes to work and he gives. It's, it's a, it, you can see the contrast in behavior. Where once, when he was dead spiritually, he is running after the things that dead spiritually people run after. He's treasuring those things. He lives for those things. He will go that way. He will win at all costs. He will destroy and he will plunder and he will do whatever it takes for him to have what he wants. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the building up and it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So what's he saying? He's saying this present age is dominated by corrupting talk. And again, that's not... Some people will be like, oh, I, well, tell me the cuss words. Be like, guess what? Likely, it's for a lot of people, it's not the cuss words. It's your heart. It's almost like... I mean, there's sometimes I've thought, you know, you would rather somebody speak in that way than speak in the way that they are. Because they're constantly destroying people with their tongue. He says, let no corrupting talk. That is damaging talk. That is like talk that like tears people down, that tears them down behind their back, that speaks ill and evil of people. It's that kind of talk. Let that kind of talk not come out of your mouth, but that which builds up. What does that look like? I mean, it, it, there, there's, there are many ways to do that. But it's building up in the occasion. That's not saying that you would never coach somebody up and say, you got to step up. It's not saying that. It's saying that everything that you're doing is saying, I'm, I'm going to help grow this person, move this person, bless this person. There's a contrast between like what, how dead men walking talk and alive men walking talk. He's drawing that out and he's making that clear. So, these people who are dead spiritually are going after the ways of the world, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's like it permeates the whole world. And you were that. That's what he says, basically. Of course you were. You were dominated by that. So, this text tells us that we were dead, we were enslaved, we were driven, again, by those passions and desires to live to our own glory, to our own good, for our own family. It's us, we love us, we live for us, we make ourselves happy. Everything is driven by that, but God has saved you. God rescues you from that. So let's keep moving here. We were dead, we were enslaved, and then we were condemned. That's another thing that you see. And we're by nature children of wrath. So we're rebels at heart. And as a result, we are under God's wrath and curse. That's the condition you find yourself in totally and completely Uh, children of wrath that is like not only are you kind of rebellious yourself you are deserving of God's wrath and that is your end apart from his grace you say well I'm not we're not that bad are we I mean are we really I mean can't I mean we're not I'm not that bad I'm not you know and the reality is is when you meet somebody that thinks I'm not really that bad my kids aren't really that bad this is not really that bad the reality is, it's like you just haven't seen it yet. And maybe you still are in a state of death, spiritually. You just don't see. The light bulb hasn't come on yet. Now, the question then is, if this is the case, what is the answer? What is the answer to this horrendous problem? Look at verse 4. But God. That's the answer. That, that's the only answer. That is the game changer. That, that's the only, that is the only game changer. That's the only hope. That is the, that, that's why the, the scriptures say that there is salvation in no other, other name. There, there, he is the only way. But God. So it's almost like man by his own nature is dominated by sin. He is on the road to destruction. He lives his life under the wrath of God. He does not know it. He is blind and deaf to those things. He does not desire God. Any kind of religious activity, doesn't mean he's not religious, any kind of religious activity is really not centered in God but himself. But but here we're saying these people are totally and absolutely and completely without hope. And you might say, well, hold on just a second. Are you sure that he's talking about um, the whole human race? What does it say? And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It is universal. Everybody's there. But God. We're really dividing this in from verse 1 to 3, where you were and where you are now. How you were dead in your sins, now you're made alive. What you were by nature, what you are now, 
by God's grace. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God's prepared beforehand, that we would walk in them. So let's look just for a moment and say, okay, man kind of by grace, experiencing God's grace, what does that look like? Well, first we have to say, what has God done? How does this grace come? What has God done? He's made us alive. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. So when we look at our salvation, when you're thinking about it, and you're saying like, what makes me alive? God does. But God, He made us alive together with Christ. It's by His grace that you have been saved. It, it, that's, that's something that He's going to repeat twice. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Everything, salvation, grace, faith, it's all a gift. It is all a gift. The answer to the human problem is not, does not come from humanity. It is a gift from God. It is something He does. It, but God, God does this. God saves people. God takes people who are totally and completely hopeless and helpless and He saves them. That's it's astonishing. We've been doing uh, the, the uh, Beatitudes at home at night where we've been kind of memorizing this, the, the, the Beatitudes together as a family. And I just try to talk to the boys and, and just say, do you understand what he's saying? He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What, what is he saying? He's saying, blessed are those who see their spiritual poverty. And so I had one of them one night like say, what does it mean to be poor? And maybe you would be at a place where you don't have anything. Maybe you wouldn't even have clothes. You're just totally in this state. And then the next one we looked at and we said, blessed are those who mourn. And and so I was like, somebody look at me like they're mourning, like they're crying. Now, what are they crying over? Uh, They're crying over their sin. So they're, they're, they're like, have nothing. They're maybe like tattered in in rags. and And then they're mourning. And then I said, it says, blessed are those who are meek. And I was like, that doesn't mean they're not a strong person, but they're totally humbled. I, I said, what would that look like? And so I got down on the floor, and I was like, I mean, this person is so ashamed that they have their hand over their face. They don't even want to look up. But then it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what are they doing? It's like they have their hand over their face just totally and completely broken, and yet they're reaching out. What are they reaching out for? They're reaching out for something they do not possess, a righteousness outside of themselves. That's what it means. It it is when someone really, the light bulb comes on, they feel worse than they've ever felt before, but more hope-filled than they've ever felt before. 
It's, it's the most glorious thing because what's happened? God has brought, shown the light. And, and when the light comes on them, they look at themselves and for the first time, they are naked. naked I can't even say it. They are naked. They are ashamed of themselves. They are broken over their sin. They're crying and they're in the corner hopeless. But then God shines the light on the glorious gospel and they realize that hope can be found. In the moment of the greatest darkness. I was meeting with somebody the other day at the, uh, with our church. And I just told them, I said, listen, if that person who really is broken and really maybe, ha- or maybe hasn't seen that fully, but, but, but if that person that is in a total, like you would say, in a place where when the light bulb comes on, it'll be very clear that they're in a state of brokenness and in need of Christ. If that person can't come into this place, and, 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 and be brought into the family and experience like amazing grace-filled group of people like we're missing the boat. Something is wrong with us. If they have to come in here and they don't even understand what you're talking about and, and, and it's not really clear and they can't see and understand and savor the gospel like we're doing something wrong. That's what we long to do is to see people see their sin see their Savior, and be overwhelmed with joy. And that's what Paul does. He says, but God. And he says, this is what God did. God graciously saved. Why did God do it? It's not because these people deserved it. It's not because they could say, oh man, I, 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 you know, it came down to this place and, and God's looking around and he's just looking for somebody with their hand up going, yes. Yes, I'm awesome. Pick me. Pick me. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Pick me. Nobody's saying, pick me. Pick me. Let me come in. I'm so, like, look at how wonderful I am. And by the way, look around me. My neighborhood is filled with all these sinners. Pick me. Pick me. I would be the best one on the street to enter into heaven with you. Nobody's saying that. It's, it's saying, God did this because He is Rich in mercy. That means we're not getting what we've deserved. Salvation is not, oh, I deserved it. Nobody's getting what they deserved. He shows mercy to us. That should produce gratitude, like unbelievable gratitude for what He has done. The next part of that, because of His great love with which He loved us, it's not saying, oh, we, we were so beautiful and he just walked in the room and God saw me and was just immediately like he thought, this person is so wonderful and beautiful. I'll never, ever want to live a day without him or her. How could I? How could I? How could I? I just can't believe it. I've been searching all my life for someone so lovely and lovable. Not how the, the Scripture presents it. The Scripture presents it as the most unlovable people He showers His love upon. Not someone lovely, but someone that He has chosen to love. First, 1 John 4 says this, Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means God chose in His infinite love to save a people who were in rebellion against Him. 
So again, what we look at here, we look at our human condition totally separated from God. The only hope is that the scripture says, but God did this. Why did he do it? Because he's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us. Verse 5 and verse 8 again, you could go back and say, what else do we find out? He does it by his grace. So if mercy's like you not getting what you deserve, grace is giving you something that you could never deserve or something, maybe you could say it like that. But he showers his grace on his people. Every bit of this is a gracious gift from God. It has nothing, the scripture says here, it is not of your own doing. It is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So today we say, man by nature was dead, enslaved, and condemned. Man by grace realizes and sees that God has done it. And when he asks himself, why did God do it? He says, because this gracious, merciful, and loving God chose to. Then in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So, he's not done once he saves. He's not done. It's, it's like what he begins in you, Philippians says, he will perfect. He's not done. God... Grace is not just to save you out of sin and this darkness and this broken, but to set you on this track to live for Him. We are His workmanship. We've been in, created in Christ for good works. He's already prepared what we're going to do. So it's natural to say we should walk in them. Some of you might say in your mind, God, could, I'm just not that gifted. I'm not that able to do or accomplish different things. Maybe you're intimidated by stuff real easy. Maybe you don't have a lot of confidence or what, you know, you come up with all these things that you can't do and why we can't do. But the text in here, I mean, just very clearly says, God is the one who saves and God is the one who prepares and God is the one who sustains. And God is the one who empowers. And God is the one that's moving people forward throughout this life. Doing his work in and through his people for his glory and the good of others. That is so clear throughout the scripture. So what we say is we are not limited by age, education, background, etc. What we, what we have to say is, listen, if God has begun this work in me, he will complete the work in me. Like, he, he will do that. If he, he, he does have things for me to do, it really, th that's one of the hardest things for some people. I think looking back, they might say, man, I just don't know. Maybe you're maybe at a certain age in life, it's like, I don't even know what I would do anymore. Or I don't even know how I could do this or that. And be like, listen, if you are alive to God and you are on this earth, you have work to do. It doesn't, you can't say, well, I'm, this is the time that I just want to know. This is the time that you want to get out of the chair 
and get to work. Doing the things that God's prepared for you to do. Empowered by His grace. And you move forward and you do so vigorously. And you run hard at it. And we do that by His grace. For His glory. To the good of others. And really for our own joy. And so I would just say for you today. You are either dead in your sins or alive to God. And if you are alive to God, your life needs to be continually moving towards trying to more effectively be used by the Redeemer to bless other people. That's what we should strive for, and I hope you've been um, blessed by this study. It's, it's a wonderful study to reflect on over and over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us a clearer and clearer understanding that we who are dead have been brought to life. We don't deserve it. We've been given it as a gift. And that we want to take that gift and, and offer our lives back to you. And we pray you would give us the uh, more clarity about how that would be every week. Uh, we know that all of us are going to walk out of here and maybe go to 10 places this week or 100. We have, I don't even know all the places, God, you might send us. But we pray that we would... Um, see all of it as, as for your glory and the good of others and for our own good, and we would do so uh, with excitement. In Christ's name, amen.